Hi, and welcome to the Bits and Trees podcast. I'm your host, Matt Machuga, and joining me today is the GitHubber and former co-host of the Bike Shed podcast, Derek Pryor. Hi, Derek. Hey, Matt. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. So while it is not the reason I brought you on the podcast, uh, you had some exciting things happen over the past two days. Today's date is January 8th, 2019. Um, can you tell <laughs> us what's been going on at GitHub? Yeah, sure. So um, my team was part of a part of a large kind of cross-functional team to work on uh, a couple of changes, uh, the most notable being that now uh, free, free GitHub users can get private repositories, unlimited private repositories with up to three collaborators. Um, on each repository. There's been some confusion around that one. Um, and so that was, you know, probably, it was, it was a pretty big effort for a pretty big team, really, to kind of make that happen. It sounds kind of simple on the surface, but uh, I think as most of your listeners are probably aware, sometimes the things that sound the simplest end up being the hardest. <laughs> Especially, you know, you can consider GitHub's been around 10 years or so, and um, all of the assumptions about free users not being able to have private repositories that are built into the built into the code base. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's was... been around that long already. Mm -hmm. So um, can you tell us a little bit about why this is? I don't want to like blow it up and say like monumental, but this is huge in the developer community. Uh, can you tell us why that might be? I think that there are that people always have a certain type of project that they're just not willing to make public that. Um, you know, is a personal project. It's something that they're working on with maybe one friend. It's a side project. It's something they don't want public. Or maybe they're just getting started in development and they're a little bit uncomfortable with the idea that like their fits and starts of like doing this tutorial are going to be in a public repository for everybody to see, right? When in, in six months, they're going to be looking for a job and they might be embarrassed of what they did. Not that they should be embarrassed. I don't think they should be. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that that is the reality. Uh, and so for a long time, the number one request from users was they wanted free, they wanted private repositories on the free plan. Um, and so things finally aligned and we were able to give that, give that to them. Uh, my own personal hope is that this is, this ends up being like a, uh, and this is just my hope obviously, but that this ends up being a, uh, a purely additive change and that, you know, now more code gets hosted on GitHub and it's not the case that things that used to be public now become private. Right. right. Um, I really love the fact that like as an open source maintainer, I love just being able to be like, who's using my library and how are they using it? Right. Mm -hmm. And just search and be like, oh, OK, here's some. And I know there's plenty of closed source uses of it, too. But like having a good a, a good number of open source projects using it, it's like even if they're not like they're not open source projects that you've heard of, like um, discuss discuss. Is that the forum one? The Rails forum project? Uh, discourse. Um, discourse. It's not discourse. Um there's so many of those now. There's discuss, discord, disco, discourse. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's it's not like they 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 might not be like the the Rails projects you've heard of that are using your library, but you just see like oh, somebody's side project is using this, or somebody's trying this out in this tutorial app, and this is what they're trying and how they're using it. Uh, so I really enjoy that open by necessity, I guess. To date, it's been open by necessity unless, I mean, it's not really necessity. You can pay $7 a month and have private repositories. Um, so, you know, I've enjoyed that. And I hope that the way this breaks is that it's just additive and people feel comfortable putting things that they otherwise would not have put at all on GitHub, mm -hmm. uh, putting, putting that on GitHub. Another perk from my perspective is uh, as a hiring manager at Auth0 for our, our technical exercises, we asked the candidate to create a GitHub uh, repository and like put some code up on there. And it's always 
a bit of a fiasco if like we want them to keep it private because we don't want the uh the world seeing all the code that they're putting up it's supposed to be a, a unique challenge for them so if if they don't have a, pay, a public account or if, i'm sorry if they don't have a paid account they were always like well can you create one for me or can i host it on gitlab can all can you send me all of your usernames like man let's just simplify this somehow <laughs> Yeah, well, this simplifies it, but it, I always find it, I, I do find it funny the lengths at which people are willing to go through to avoid paying $7. Yeah. Uh, especially in that case where you're going to be interviewing for this job. Like, is it really not worth $7 to you to interview for this job? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I understand, like, I understand the thing of like, can you create the repo and then I'll contribute to it or, or something like that? I totally understand that. But uh, reading through some of the hacker news feedback on the, on the, um, the thread around, um, launching you know when we launched free private repos uh you know some of the comments were like basically how you can get around the limitations that free that the free plan has for private repos and like oh you can spin up a digital ocean server for five dollars and it's like i mean okay sure like i guess you can do that there are always people out there that are going to have more uh more time than money i guess mm -hmm. um and you know more power to them if that's how they want to spend their time <laughs> i feel it's very inherent to our culture as like developers where how can we get around this limitation that's been put in or even the whole like i don't want to pay for anything let me see what i can what i can do to get this for free yeah and, and you know i i sit here saying this and uh for the large part of the last five years i was not a paying github customer mm -hmm. um because I didn't have a reason to have free private repos. And I kind of let the fact that everything had to be public guide what I did, right? And so like, um, you know, my dot files are have been in a public repository on GitHub since like 2010 or 12 or something like that. Um, and I'm just, I just have built up these systems for like, oh, here's how I plug in data that I don't want to put to get, I don't want to push to GitHub. Mm -hmm. And Frankly, those systems are just as valid if my system, was, if this was a private repository, because those that data includes things like tokens that I just am not comfortable putting on GitHub, even, uh, right. even in a private repository. Um, and I think it's just good practice to keep your tokens somewhere else separate from your code, right? Um, and so I think that that helped me kind of develop those good habits. But uh, I've always just kind of defaulted to things being public for the most part. I think the public the always public thing has been uh, a real big motivator, like you said. So I'm the same way. I have my dot files on GitHub. And aside from the occasional uh, GitHub issue that I get where someone has been accidentally masquerading as me because they've pulled in my Git config, <laughs> uh, aside from that, I have zero regrets about it. Um, yeah. It's really awesome if somebody comes along and kind of fixes uh, my ZSH theme or something. That's helpful. Um, and it's just kind of guided me to become more open in general. So now I'm, I'm much more prone to share things uh, in the public eye, whether it's in a blog post, a tweet, uh, GitHub. It's just a really good motivator, I think. Um, yeah. And really, we can use that because everybody's going through the same stuff, even if they don't want to admit it or just don't have a good form of sharing it, mm -hmm. uh, including the bad things where you accidentally push AWS keys to production. Sure. Everybody's got to be, everybody's got to Google for that. Uh, everybody's got to Google for that. Uh, get like, what is it? Uh, something br filter branch or mm -hmm. whatever to like remove keys from history. <laughs> That's in my history somewhere. <laughs> One of the questions I ask people, uh, like what is your, what is a, a big mistake and what did you learn from it? Uh, when mm -hmm. we're trying to hire them and I've heard, uh, deleting production databases and pushing AWS keys the most. 
I was involved in a in a production database delete. It was not it was not my doing, but I can totally see it was like it predates kind of a and, and it may have actually been one of the reasons why Rails protects against this from now. But like basically, somebody had uh, cloned had had used a a Heroku CLI plugin to like take the environment variables from Heroku mm-hmm. um, because they were just like spinning the app back. They were spinning the app up, so they did that and then they ran. Uh, they ran rake to run the tests and uh. one of the environment variables that got cloned was the database url and so uh, database cleaner fired up and said like okay uh, when we run tests the first thing we do is truncate the database <laughs> and so then it tried to truncate the database uh, so that was a lot of fun uh, but that was my first lesson in like oh there's really there's some that, that was my first major lesson in like there's some sneaky ways that that uh, rails can really guide you down a wrong path here uh, and I'm glad to see that that was kind of addressed in, I think it was Rails 5, Richard Schneeman, I think, um, was one of the people behind, like, uh, who coincidentally works at Heroku. Perhaps not in coinc- not coincidentally, I don't know. Uh, but he was one of the people that kind of said, like, this is, we, sh- we should somehow protect against these types of things from happening. Right. Um, so how long have you been at GitHub now? Oh, uh, I was just trying to count that before I got on this call. I think it's been about five months. Uh, so I started this summer. And, uh, it's been, it's, it's funny. I was talking to somebody maybe a few weeks ago about this when it was, when it was right around four months. And I said, it simultaneously feels like I just started and that I've been here for years. Um, <laughs> it feels like I've just started in that, like, I, I, I still feel like I'm getting to know people and how things work and things like that. But it feels like I've been here for years in that, like, I kind of can astonish myself and how much like I know now versus what I knew four months ago about like, oh, I have a question about this part of the system. Who do I go and talk to? And I can sometimes actually answer those questions now. Um, and also just like I've sh- I've worked with my team to ship a lot of really cool things in just those five months. So um, it's been a really it's been a really great experience. So at Thoughtbot, your your last job, you were a development director, right? Mm-hmm. How does that differ from your new role as an engineering manager? Sure. So uh, as a development director at ThoughtBot, which is a Rails consultancy, um, my I spent about 50% of my time doing development for clients and another 50% of my time helping to lead the development team in Boston. And what that meant by what, what helping to lead the development team in Boston meant was uh, there was about six, at any given point, anywhere from like six to eight uh, developers that reported to me. And I would have one-on-ones with them and inquire about how their projects were going, uh, coach them through any consulting difficulties they were having, things like that. Uh, In addition to also kind of like being responsible for how the office operated, like is, uh, you know, do we have enough work coming up? Should we hire? Should we, you know, you know, things like that. How do we hire? What kind of questions should we ask people? Um, You know, a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of stuff like that. And so there was definitely some management involved, um, but I was also still doing a significant amount of, of development, um, which frankly, I really liked. Like I, I love doing development every day if I can. Um, but some of the challenges at managing in a consultancy were, like, like I talked about when I was doing those one-on-ones with people, I could really only um, get so much information about what was happening, right? I only have the one narrator. Um, and not to say that any of the people that ever reported to me were unreliable narrators, but like we all have our own spin on how things went. Right. And so I was never able to say like, well, actually I was in that meeting 
Uh, not that I would ever say, well, actually, I was in that meeting. But I could never say. <laughs> I could never say. I could never bring another point of view uh, on the same situation to that meeting, to that discussion. Um, which, uh, as I've read more on 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 management, in particularly as it relates to software engineering, uh, kind of seems to be akin to how managing other managers might be, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, you know, you're you're. that manager is telling you about experiences that you didn't yourself experience. Whereas uh, in my job at GitHub now, where I have a team of six developers that report to me, um, I have one-on-ones with them all regularly. I see what they're working on. You know, I see their PRs. I see I'm in meetings with them. I see their interactions with, you know, their teammates, with other people in the business. Um, And I can give them kind of more actionable feedback when it's necessary. you know, to me, that's one of the major differences between the two is like, this is a little bit more direct, uh, direct management, whereas the other, whereas the other felt more like coaching, mm-hmm. um, which both of them have been valuable experiences to me. Like, it's not to say that I prefer one over the other. And in fact, you know, I mentioned before that I really love doing development every day. Um, I don't do that at GitHub. So, um, I was a little nervous about that change, like being like, okay, you know, they're telling me that really the percentage that I do management will probably start somewhere around like you'll do like 70% management and maybe 30% doing some development time mm-hmm. and that I should expect that that development time goes down over time, right, as I ramp up. And I was a little nervous about that. I was like, I'm ready for this change, but I'm, I'm nervous about how I'm going to feel about it. Uh, but it has surprised, like, I think it's surprising to me how well I've, I've been okay, how, how much I've been okay with that because I've been able to find ways to stay involved technically in the code base, even if I'm not um, driving a particular change. Um, and also it's clear to me with the work that I'm doing, how I'm helping those six people that report to me um, do good work for lots of people. So that's been really rewarding. <laughs> I hope that answers, that was a really, I feel like that was a really long winded answer to your to your question of what it was like to be a development director at ThoughtBot. <laughs> No, it's an excellent it's an excellent answer because I have uh, follow up questions to almost everything you just said. Great. Uh, so there's many paths to go down, but uh, you said it's not bugging you too much that your development time has gone down. Mm-hmm. Um, do you still get some of that fear of missing out, where you know you want to be in the nitty gritty, or are you are you pretty comfortable now just backing off and kind of watching from the sidelines? Um, there are times when I'm really, really excited about a thing. Like, um, I will say when I, when I first joined, my team was working on suggested changes, Mm -hmm. which is a thing, uh, a feature in GitHub code reviews where you can like basically format a comment in a way such that the, the person who receives the comment can just say, yeah, I want to do exactly what you just told me to do and apply it. Um, and the combination of that being a really cool feature that I've wanted in GitHub for a long time before I joined GitHub and the fact that I was new to the management job I was in and didn't quite know what to do with myself mm-hmm. really, really made me want to contribute code to this project. Um, and so for a long time, I was not for a long time, for a few weeks, I tried to resist it. Cause I was like, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be doing management. But the reality was at that point, I wasn't sure what management needed to be done other than like some project management. Um, and so finally, 
when like a thing that was basically tailor-made for my interests in rails development popped up in this project i was like i'm going to do this and i just jumped in (laughs) and like spent all day working on it uh pushed it up and it was like a good change and i was like okay i i like kind of exhaled a little bit because i was like okay yes i did development which is maybe not what i'm supposed to be doing but also like i feel really good because i delivered some some value to this project where i was previously like am i doing enough right um mm-hmm. so i used that time in development kind of to um i guess backfill the time that i was uncertain about what i should be doing um so that felt really good but simultaneously it gave me pause to be like whoa wait a minute i really enjoyed that part should i should i have should i just be doing that part <laughs> should i just be a developer at github um but over time i kind of like like i mentioned earlier i kind of found ways to like that i that i could fill that time that I spent doing the development there with things that would be more valuable to like the team of people that report to me or even even like the wider team of developers at GitHub. Um, and so I found that to be kind of equally rewarding. And so I still do development. Um, you know, while we were doing this, while we were doing this um, free private repositories project, um, we had a, you know, we had a pretty aggressive timeline that we wanted to ship this on. And uh, so what I ended up doing was, um, helping the team set a technical direction for the project and then kind of like running interference for everybody on the team. So like bugs would come in and things would come in and I would try my best to be the person who like picked them up and mm-hmm. address them. So the team didn't have to, so like it got me my fix of like doing small bits of development and it let the team focus on the big project that we were trying to deliver. And um, that worked really well because, like I said, it gave me my fix. And also the types of things that tended to come in fit the time periods that I have available to me. Um, yes. So I have very chopped up time periods available to me to do development generally. I'll have a, Maybe I'll have a few hours between meetings and then I'll have two meetings and then I'll maybe I'll have an hour at the end of the day. You know, so it's like so throughout the day I might have four hours. So, you know, so like. If I were to say, if I were to look at at an issue and say like, oh, um, if I were doing full-time development, this would take me two hours or four hours, right? Um, It's going to take me way more than four hours of development time as a manager because that time is so chopped up. So I'm constantly like, wait, what was I doing? Like, does this test pass? Do I need to rebase? What's happening? Um, And those, like, you know, it's, it's nothing new to developers that context switching is expensive, but context switching between development work and one con, development work you know, one branch of development work and another branch of development work, I think is a different thing than context switching between like long-term planning or even short-term planning and doing some development work and then doing some reviews and one-on-ones and then going back to your development work. Um, Yes. I think is a different thing, different challenge. It it definitely brings its own set of challenges. I think my current uh, management to code ratio is probably Mm 90-10. So I get to code just a tiny bit during the week. Usually I, I have the same strategy as you do, where if it's like a, a five minute bug fix, I'll pick that off. So nobody else has to spend cycles on it. Um, I've also, I've partially adopted a library as long as it's a, a short modification that needs done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause there's like a lot of weird changes that have to happen in this one. And it has enough technical challenges that I get my little uh, fix for the week or two weeks. And then I can just let everybody else run with it and make it good. Like I'll get it done. They can make it pretty. Uh, so, uh, when I started the, the initial balance was supposed to be something like 50, 50, cause the idea was a, a technical manager should be able to keep their technical, technical skills sharp 
and that number dropped off real quick as the the management structure at Auth0 changed and as the workload changed. So we've watched a lot of our, our technical leads who are now all considered engineering managers have to make that hard decision where do I want to continue down the managerial route or do I want to go the technical lead route and you know I can just stay on that independent contributor track. Um, so it's been very interesting watching watching the way that people think about it and the points that they bring up as they're discussing it. Um, yeah. I, I empathize with everyone. Yeah. And for me, I was really glad to be, I knew when I took the job at GitHub that what I wanted to try was the management track thing that I had been on the individual contributor track for, oh goodness. Uh, like at that point, 16 years. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm ready for a new, a new trade off here. I'm ready for a new, new new thing um, but at the same time i was really glad to be going to an organization where i had immediate evidence that uh from from people that i was talking to while i was interviewing that like going from individual contributor to manager and back to individual contributor was a thing that like github was willing to entertain right yeah. um that they want you to be in the role that you feel most happy and that you're most effective in um and so i was like well i want to do this management thing i'm really uh um, invested in it. I'm really enthusiastic about it, but I know if it doesn't work out <laughs> that maybe I could say like, actually, could I try being an individual contributor? <laughs> yep. Um, and I haven't, thankfully I haven't looked back, uh, since that one day have not looked back thinking like, I wish I had done this. Um, it's been, you know, a really great experience to do the, the management track has lived up to what I thought it might be, um, so far. And I'm pretty early on in it. Um, and yeah, so I can't remember. I was going to say something. Oh, right. So the management track has kind of lived up to what I thought it would be. Um, the other thing I really like about the way things work at GitHub is there's no assumption that like uh, promoting a developer turns them into a manager, mm -hmm. right? This idea that like you are a developer until you are a manager. It's like, no, you can, you can be a developer. That can be your career. You can do that forever. Um, yep. and that's fine. You're, there's no expectation that you want to be a manager or that an excellent developer makes an excellent manager. I've, I found it very helpful to always keep in mind as well, at least with the team structure at Auth0 that, um, with regards to my team, despite the fact that I'm a manager, it's just another role on our team. Like it, it doesn't mean anything different. I'm not a better, better engineer. There are way better engineers on the team. It just means that I have the responsibility of taking care of the team rather than putting out the output. Um, mm -hmm. So that that kind of mindset helps me face the days where I know I'm not going to write any code and I'm going to be in meetings for seven out of eight hours. And it'll all be okay in the end because I get to help the team out. I get to unblock them. Um, I get to make sure they have enough work for the next couple of weeks. Um, and it all winds up working out. Yeah. I do think, I wonder though, like you, you mentioned before, you, you brought up the idea of staying sharp. Like, do you still feel that need to stay sharp? And if you're only developing 10% of your time, which is probably about what I'm doing at this point, uh, how do you, if you do feel the need to do it, how do you, how do you do it? Like what is, what is staying sharp? Does, does what staying sharp means change or has, is it the same for you? Like, how's that been I, going for you? I think it, it has definitely changed over time. So I, I definitely read the same amount where I did. So I, I'm always catching up on articles. Um, I focus more on the technology stacks that we use. So I try to make sure that I, I understand the tooling that the team employs 
so that I can be helpful if these choices come come up. So, you know, distributed computing is huge these days. So I try to make sure I know the practices that are going on there. Um, my team favors Postgres as a data store. So I try to make sure I understand the intricacies. So when architectural decisions come up, I at least have an uh, educated opinion. Um, I do notice that these days it's more important for me to know what questions to ask than to have answers. Uh, it's just really not my job anymore. I just have to provoke that thought so that, you know, have you considered doing something that will take 40% of the time you, you think it should, um, and still produce a reasonable output? Yeah. Have you noticed a, a similar thing? Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm still in the point where, um, I want to be careful choosing my words here, but I feel like I could do, I feel like I could do the job of an engineer on my own team. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like I could, I could do that job and, and be pretty good at it. Uh, but I think a day will come if I stay on this path where that's no longer true. Um, and I think at that point, um, at, at that point, your value shifts more towards, like you said, being a person who maybe I can no longer give really great pointed code exa code examples in my code reviews or something like that and be like, mm -hmm. oh, did you consider writing it exactly like this? But I can still call on my experience to say like, I've seen a lot of things, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> and like, this reminds me of this thing. Or did you consider these other things? Like, have you thought about the performance of this? Or like, you know, like you mentioned, ask, knowing, knowing the right questions to ask um, and kind of being a, a steward of... It's kind of like taking care of the team, like you mentioned earlier, like like um, having enough technology technology know-how to understand the pains that your teammates are going through um, is pr probably more important to being an engineering manager, particularly once you get kind of into this, it, once you reach the point of like not doing that much development yourself anymore um, than uh, knowing the specific technology, right? Like right. understanding when somebody says to you like, like it's, I think it's really critical to understand why, why estimating software projects is hard, right? It's like you, you have to have that. I think it's really super helpful to have that firsthand knowledge of like, yes, I understand why this is hard, and and I also understand why it seems like it shouldn't be that hard, right? <laughs> um, but it, but it is. So yeah, I'm curious to see how I. I guess I'm curious to see how as I proceed down this path. At what point do I feel like? Uh, I guess two questions. One. Will I realize when uh, I probably can't do the job of an individual contributor anymore? Uh, and two, what will happen when that comes, when that day comes? Like, how will I feel about that? Uh, but I still feel like that's a ways off, thankfully for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to hang on as best I can. <laughs> He's probably going to kill me for bringing it up, but I have a, a guest coming up uh, like later this month. Mm -hmm. He's the, the former CTO of my last job. And he had that day come. Um, <laughs> he definitely knew that he, he had much more important responsibilities than to write code, but he really wanted to still uh, get some work done for, for quite a while. And at some point, the architect and a few other developers had to kind of pull him away from it. He's like, sorry, buddy, it, it's time. Like, <laughs> It's time the, to hang up your keyboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the work that you've taken uh, two days on would have taken somebody 20 minutes because you don't have any set amount of time to work on it and mm -hmm. you've been out of the code. So like these changes don't make sense anymore with the context that you have built up in it. Right. 
Yeah, and I, I fully recognize that that's going to come, and, and, and the fact that I'm not there yet is really just a function of, like, I have been so recently doing a lot of this development, um, and that as, as time goes by, that will that will start to pass me by, but I will always have the skill in order to, like, like I mentioned before, in order to ask good pointed questions, I will always have my experiences, I will always have, you know, the knowledge that I've built up now, it's just that the specific technical implementation details may at some point uh, be a little, and, and like, you know, that has happened already to an extent at GitHub. There are entire classes of problems that I used to solve as a consultant that I'm perfectly willing just be, to be like, we have whole teams of people that do that now. That's not my <laughs> problem anymore. Um, I'm going to let that go, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's been a like really freeing thing because it's like I don't have to keep up all of this knowledge. <laughs> like I will just try and keep up my like Ruby on Rails and JavaScript knowledge. I will forget my DevOpsy stuff. I will forget uh, deployment. I will forget uh, a certain amount of my like not SQL but like database knowledge. Like outside of SQL, I will forget a certain amount of that. I'll, I will. I'm happy to let other teams uh, to do that. So I've kind of been like prioritizing the amounts that I uh, retain, I guess. Um, so, well, what kind of challenges do you think you get to work with on a day-to-day -day basis now? Um, you still have that engineering mind, so I'm, I'm assuming you still love to solve problems. Uh, what kind of problems do you solve? It's a good question. Um, so I guess I would go, I, I look at it as, uh, like you mentioned earlier, that team stewardship, like taking care of the team. Um, I look at that as my chief goal right um taking care of the team while still meeting the company's goals mm -hmm. um and i learned a lot about what that means from my job at thoughtbot um where it was really the first place that that i worked that kind of like actually uh lived the like hey we're gonna work a sustainable pace and we're going to uh we're gonna do agile software development where we just like iterate on things like crazy um and so a lot of the problems i solve in my job at github is through those lenses um through the through the idea of like hey we have this really hard problem how do we break it down how do we de-scope it how do we do how, how do we get this to be um something we can ship in three weeks or in three months or whatever the case may be even if the plan is, um, like for suggested changes, the plan was we knew we were going to ship that at GitHub Universe, which was in October, right? So we knew we had more time, but if we if we had like allowed ourselves to have that full amount of time uh, as like a deadline, I don't know that we ever would have gotten there. So like it, to me, it was like critical to like, okay, how do we get, how do we set up benchmarks of being like, okay, phase one complete now phase, even if we're not going live, like we're going to have phase one now then we're going to iterate and we'll have phase two and then we're going to iterate and we'll be ready for public launch um so it is a lot i think i think of the day-to-day -day, a lot of what i am concerned with is like project a, a combination of project management technology management and people management i guess um and making sure that people are working on the things that keep them engaged while also uh making sure that we're working on the right things for the business that's a lot of things, but uh, I mean, like that's the life of an engineering manager. Yeah, and so like for, as an example, like this this project where we 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 uh, the the free private repos project, which also uh, did a few other things. Um, you know, when that project first came to us, it was 
a different project than what we released. It was, you know, it was it had more things. It had it was more complicated. Um, but given the timeline that we wanted to do it on, it was like, okay, let's have this conversation about like, do we want to cut features or do we want to extend the timeline, right? Um, and I felt very comfortable in those conversations, drawing on my past experience with uh, with Thoughtbot, where I'd had those conversations with clients for five years. Um, mm -hmm. and just having the courage of like, I've done this before. I know what it takes. I'm not willing to compromise on the quality of code we write. So it's either going to be, we de-scope it or we, uh, or we increase the deadline. I'm also not willing to tell my, tell, you know, the people that work for me that they have to work over Christmas. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I knew that I knew the things I wasn't willing to compromise on. And so that left only two other things. We were going to either change the date, change the date, or we were going to change the scope. Um, and so thankfully uh you know a lot of the clients i worked with at thoughtbot weren't so receptive to that but thankfully the professional folks that i was working with at github were were they they you know there was no i didn't need to to teach them this like as soon as the conversation started happening it was like yeah of course that's what we're gonna have to do to make this happen so mm -hmm. it was great i do appreciate that on the bike shed you would constantly drive that point home like it was a, it was a recurring theme where you know you talked about iteration you talked about the the give and take and agile development. I feel like it, it helped me hammer that point home with my team. Uh, especially during like my first year at auth zero, like mm -hmm. the scope needs to be narrowed down. We keep taking off huge, huge bites. Let's do some little nibbles for a little bit and see what we get. Um, and it, it tends to work out way better. Yeah. And it can be hard. It can be hard to figure out like, Cause it's so attractive when you like identify a giant opportunity to just be like, yes, let's go mm -hmm. at it. And it can be hard to be like, what is the minimal thing we can do here to prove that we're on the right track um, before we spend a year <laughs> solving this giant thing? Can we solve part of it in a month or two months mm -hmm. and kind of like see how that goes and let that inform how we spend the next month or two months? Uh, and I think that taking the time to to have those conversations with your team and to tell them what the benefits of that approach are or to to explain to show to them show them the benefits of what that approach are um really pays pays dividends when you when you want to solve those large problems because it invariably ends up that whatever you've built at the end of that year is entire is completely different than what you had intended on on uh on building on day one uh, whereas if you try to be like, we're going to bite this whole problem off. I know exactly what I want to do. We're going to do this and we're going to release it a year from now. Uh, you might build exactly that and then find out that, you know, that's not what your users really wanted. <laughs> and so it's a really expensive way to find that out. Um, this has certainly been new to me in my job at GitHub because it wasn't an experience I had as a manager at ThoughtBot, um, which is like, somebody will say to me like, Hey, um, you know, this feature we're working on, uh, it doesn't work in this way, right? Somebody mm -hmm. external to my team will say like, hey, there's a bug or I'm not quite sure, or just ask a general question of like, how does this work, right? And they ask the question to me. And so my gut reaction is like, well, I have to get this person an answer. And so right. what I'm really working on now is like, no, I don't, I have six people I can turn to and be like, hey, can, uh, can you do me a favor? So-and-so wants to know why they saw this behavior. Um, can you take a look at it and just follow up with them, right? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that that's actually my job. My job isn't necessarily to answer every question that gets asked to me. <laughs> it gets yep. asked to me. It's to like prioritize those questions and figure out who the best person to answer them is. But it's really hard for me because I, 
I want to be the person who has an answer for every question that gets asked. Um, and, uh, I have to become okay with the fact that like, sometimes the right answer is yes, let me introduce you to so-and-so who can answer that question for you. Like when I was, when I, when I first started working at ThoughtBot, I was so in love with the fact that we had like dedicated chat rooms to talk about code because my previous job did not have that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now it seems like kind of table stakes given Slack and all these other tools. Um, but at the time that was like, whoa, we can all just talk about code. So anytime anybody asked a question in that room, I would Google their question and try and be the first person who, who, who came up with the answer <laughs> because I just like, that's just how I want to be like, and then I would present that answer as if I knew the answer, which is so mm-hmm. dumb. And it took me years to figure out that that's what I was doing and be like, like, I wasn't a conscious thing I was doing. It was just like, oh, you just do this. And I was like, I don't, this, I don't know why this part of my brain just wants to be like the person with the answers. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I've been working on that, I think, over the last uh, few months at GitHub of being like, A, I don't, I can't answer all of these questions. I'll never get, I'll never get what I actually, the other stuff I need to get done, done if I spend all my time answering these questions. And B, like my team wants to, wants the experience of answering these questions and like uh, interfacing with other people in the business and helping them figure out what they, what they need to do to get their jobs done. Right. I, I had a similar version of that. Mine was, uh, when I started, I had to kind of hire the team. So there was one person full-time on the team and then I had to hire the rest of them. And my gut reaction all the time was to shield that person behind a stone wall that nobody could get to them because there was one person doing the work. Mm-hmm. So I would take the brunt of any questions that would come in. I would try to make sure that like, for the most part, you just ignore that that person's there, like ignore the man behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. And it did not scale very well. It started to scale poorer and poorer over time. As we took on more projects, we had more visibility in the company. So I had to learn that just because I'm looking out for their time does not mean that's the right approach. It, you know, the road to hell is paved with uh, the best intentions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I kind of discovered the same thing you did where they want to answer questions. They want to have the experience. Um, and I am doing them a disservice by not letting them get in there and answer it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure some days they're like, no, shut, shut the world off, please. It's like, just let me focus. And I'm happy to take it from them on those days. But, uh, it, I definitely took too much away at the beginning thinking that's what they wanted. But I have a, a team of people who were former managers of some sort, or they were former senior developers. So they're used to this sort of thing and they, they like having the interaction every once in a while. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a matter of like, uh, deciding what to delegate and when to delegate it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because nobody like when, when I describe to candidates, how, we work at GitHub or how we worked at ThoughtBot when I was interviewing people there, I was very like, one of the things I was most proud of was saying that like, this is not a job where you come in and I assign you tickets and you do them mm-hmm. and that's it. Right. We're all in this process together. We all get like, we all get a say in how this thing proceeds and what we build. Um, you know, at GitHub, it's a very engineering led, um, culture of product development, I guess. Um, and so we, you know, that's not my job. That's the team's job. And the same goes for like the job of supporting what we build. Like that's not, it's not my job to support what, what gets built. It's everybody's job. Um, but knowing, um, 
when uh, somebody needs that focus time and I should not be delegating to them. Uh, mm -hmm. And also like what, like having a priority filter on what gets delegated, right? Because a lot of things do come in and sometimes the right answer is, can you open an issue for that? And I'll prioritize it. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just like, it's not a super high priority to you or to the person asking it, right? Um, and then you get those things, you know, you, you get those things that are like, this is a super high priority to me. It might not seem important to you, but if you could help me out, like, that'd be great. And then you get those things that are high priorities all around. Um, and so learning, I guess, learning that skill of delegation, uh, is super important. Right. Uh, I'm assuming all your backlogs are public at GitHub, right? No, sorry, like public, <laughs> public within the company, not public to us. <laughs> not making a bad joke to earlier. <laughs> um uh yes all of our all of our uh like all of our backlogs is as much as we have backlogs um mm -hmm. and i and i say as much as we have backlogs not because we don't have open tickets that nobody's addressed but because like it's just a bucket of open tickets that nobody's addressed <laughs> it's not like a groomed <laughs> backlog um and you know like each team is kind of responsible for for having their own grooming process but um mm -hmm. if you were to just like go into github and look at the issues thing it would look like chaos to you um and each team does things differently but yeah right. I, the backlog for my team is public everybody can look at it other people other folks if they know how i manage my backlog can find it mm -hmm. um and uh yeah so it's just it, it, different teams do different things but yeah it's it's visible to other people but i will have i'll often have conversations with people when they ask for things and i say like look my team's working on these two things right now like i i empathize with what you're asking me but it's a multiple like you're asking me for multiple days worth of something right and i just i can't do it right now you know like maybe we can do it in a couple weeks like let's talk let's talk in a couple weeks or something like that um and i think that those are important you know as much as i want to help that person i act like i really hate telling people like i know that this is really important to you but my job at this point is to not delegate my job is to protect um, right and and knowing when to switch between those two things yeah i so i read this book last year it's called uh making work visible it's a pretty interesting book it's talks a lot about how to eliminate uh they call it time theft so you prevent your your team and your time from being taken from other work and the biggest one was making sure your backlog is visible so we had um we had a a director for a while whose goal was to try to make your backlog a black box to where nobody needs to know what's in it. Um, and it never wound up working out the way I wanted it to, because I feel like stakeholders didn't have confidence that they were actually being heard. Yeah. What uh, is, I guess, what is, how, why I don't want to seem <laughs> flippant, but how, like, what is the idea behind that? It seems obviously wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I guess that comes from a, a certain company that is known for such things. Uh, okay. He came from that style of company. And the idea was that if somebody wants insight into what our team's working on, they should be reading something like a, a document that we output every week. So you'll commonly hear that referred to as a status doc. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I yeah, thought you so were just saying, like, we're just not going to even tell you. <laughs> right. Well, the idea, the idea was sound in some ways, but the status doc would always take a, a while to write and make it coherent, make it a good story, properly expose uh, issues. But still, if uh, a CSM, a, a customer success manager, or a support engineer came through, or one of the other business divisions came through looking for help, um, I could tell them, like, oh, yeah, I, I made a ticket, but I would never tell them where to go look to follow up. Um, after reading this book and, like, kind of 
growing as a team, we decided that we're going to be as public as possible. So uh, someone in the company made a bot that you can just create a new Jira ticket with a, with a command. And we started using that anytime somebody would ask us a, a question. So, you know, hey, can you look into X? I would just type out the ticket right in front of them so they would have that ticket for their own reference. Um, and that was kind of like the positive reinforcement of here, I'm, I'm looking into your work. Here's how I'm probably going to prioritize it. Do you actually have an urgency on it? Is it affecting a customer? Is it affecting you? Is it something that we just need to do before next year? Like what, what is your sense of urgency? So then we could prioritize based on that. And it worked out pretty well, but I wanted to add one extra factor. Uh, we would always add a label called unplanned work to it. And that would just kind of point out to them, you are interjecting into our, our backlog. Uh, if we're doing scrum work, it'd be what's already scheduled into the sprint. And we want it to be clear that it doesn't work like that. So I added um, some functionality to that, that bot to where I will actually type out label unplanned work right in front of them so they can see that uh, like right up front, I hear you, but this is not scheduled. So mm-hmm. let me work around that. Um, and they, it seems like everybody's pretty receptive. They seem very happy to know that I'm taking it seriously. Um, cause like sometimes I have to be really dismissive. Like you said, like I can't get to this. I know it's important to you, but as far as the business concerned, I have these two things over here that are super important mm-hmm. and it just helps with the scheduling a little bit. Yeah. How do you, um, not, not necessarily like how long in tickets, but how long in like time is your backlog? Right. If you add something to the bottom of your backlog at this point, is it basically like adding it to a black hole or, uh, or will you get there someday? <laughs> it really depends on the ticket. So there's a lot of stuff in our tech debt that it doesn't need to be fixed. So when that gets pushed to the bottom of the backlog until we have a tech debt day, it's as good as a black hole. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a customer request, the black hole is non-existent because at some point we have to take care of the customer. And we are very, very customer focused at Auth0. So we try to bubble those up quickly. Uh, something my team has not been great on is if it's an internal department and we know it's not urgent, sometimes we just kind of dust it under the carpet because mm-hmm. we know to them it's important. But if we've deemed it as not that beneficial for the, the time cost ratio, we push it off. Yeah. So admittedly, there is a black hole section. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that I tried to deal with when I, when I came on board at GitHub was like the team had a lot of work that was kind of hanging out in GitHub issues that was like old. And like, Mm -hmm. it was like, like somebody had an idea, somebody external to the team would be like, was like, wouldn't, wouldn't it be cool if, and it's an issue and you're looking at it and you're like, well, I mean, it might be cool, but it's kind of complicated and we don't really have any evidence that would be cool. And like, Mm -hmm. am I just going to let this thing sit here in this backlog? Uh, taking up like I I have this view that like backlogs take up uh, mental space right yep Uh, because you you have to confront them constantly and so basically my view on things like that things like feature requests and and stuff like that like you can imagine (laughs) as a website that uh, hosts code for developers uh, github gets lots of opinionated like hey I (laughs) I think I think this should be this way. And we love that. That's great. That's that informs a lot of what we do, what we do. Um, but like when there's an issue for everything that somebody has ever requested, it's like, well, you know, what am I going to do? Like, so, so, so my view on that really is like, if it was such a good idea that it has to be done, 
will remember it when it comes time to do it right mm -hmm. or it will it will make itself apparent there are some things where it's like that's probably not the case um so i have a system of like going through labeling those issues with like the area like if somebody makes some request about the some improvements they want to the dashboard and i just go well that's not something we have any we have a plan to do anytime soon and i just like so i'll just close it with like a feature request label and a dashboard label and then mm -hmm. when it comes time to like hey you know what we we have some we we, we want to make a couple improvements to the dashboard let's uh let's look through some of the older issues that have these these labels and see if like were there some some gems of ideas in there that kind of thing um, because mm -hmm. I feel like I've been involved in places where like there are thousands and thousands of open Jira tickets and you're just like, it, it just feels so crushing. Like it, like when you're doing your backlog grooming, you're like, and let's just stop here. Right. And you're like, what about all the things that are below that? Are we ever going to get there? No, because there are th literally thousands, uh, and we will, we will never get there. Um, right. so I, I want to balance that, that like, yes, we've heard you with the, with the, like, I've heard you, but uh i also i want to be honest and say we don't have a plan to do this yeah <laughs> our black hole looks very similar to that mm -hmm. uh we have about a three-month max now that uh we have an agile coach that works with our team and kind of helps me make those decisions because mm -hmm. when free, she first came around to our team and looking at stuff she's like why has this been sitting here for a year uh, well you know we we should do it are you gonna do it probably not Okay, delete, and she closes them. Exactly. So, yes, and like so, I actually have like a saved reply in GitHub for those issues where I say like, "Hey, interesting. We don't currently have this work planned. I'm going to do this with the issue. If you disagree, let me know." Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I close it. Uh, and I think exactly those two questions where you said like, "Why? Why haven't you do this? Are you going to do it?" <laughs> like, mm -hmm. those are the two questions I ask myself. Like, why haven't we done this yet? Are we going to do it? Like, cool idea, but are we going to do it? not right now so let's 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 close it uh and you know you mentioned a year and i i, I you know the 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 cases i were thinking of where it was like hey, oh look at this ticket it was open three years ago <laughs> like it's like like oh okay is this even a, like half the things at the bottom of the backlog aren't even issues anymore they've either been solved or like you've rewritten that part of the product or like you know like things like that right some of those are confusing to come back to we're like oh no this is an issue looking at this doesn't exist anymore yeah <laughs> this has been replaced exactly ah, yeah do you have both open uh like public facing issue trackers but you know github issues do you have uh, a public interface for your team and a stakeholder interface or is it all internal communication internal meaning like to my team uh sorry internal to github um and then the the alternative to internal to GitHub would be like somewhere like GitHub users could see what was what was yeah, planned. Yeah, like do you have any thing? open source uh, code bases that you work on? Uh, not my team at GitHub. Uh, mm -hmm. GitHub definitely does. GitHub has like GitHub Desktop and Atom and several other things that are like those are big, large open source projects, but also several other open source libraries. Mm -hmm. um, and those things, you know, they have certain ways they work. I haven't looked into like if all of them work similarly or if like the desktop team works differently from the Atom team or, or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not quite sure there. Um, but even internally, um, to take that question in a different direction slightly is like, I have, uh, you know, I make use of GitHub project boards for a lot of things. And 
I have the project board. I have project boards for the various projects that we're working on. So like the free private repos had a project board with a bunch of issues on it. Um, and other projects have had project boards with issues on it. But then I have a like a high level um, like project tracker project board, mm -hmm. which is just like, here are the projects that are in progress right now. Here are the projects that are paused. Here's what we've shipped or completed. Uh, completed doesn't necessarily mean ship. Sometimes we complete it and say like, nah, right? Like <laughs> yeah. actually not going to ship this. Um, so I have that, uh, and, and those serve different audiences, right? So like the, the audience for the latter is like, if you want to see the particulars of a, of what's going on in a project, you can look at the detailed issues if you'd like, or I will try a re try and do a reasonable job at keeping this. It, it's kind of a, akin to the status doc that you talked about, although I don't put as much effort into things like that. Like I have maintained those status doc type things that you were talking about in the past. And I, I agree that I spent a lot of time <laughs> doing them. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, I, you know, it's just, it's just a quick blurb about like, here's the current status of this project. Like we expect to ship in two weeks. Here's the project board for it. Here's like, here's some high level issues that you can follow that kind mm -hmm. of thing. But we do that. We do that. That That's how, those are the two different audiences that I serve for my work internal at GitHub. Thinking back to my time at Thoughtbot, where we maintain, where you know we maintained open source stuff as part of our part of our job, mostly on Fridays. Um, you know, I I would actually say that the open source stuff I was involved with did a not a great job at like project management and setting expectations with users because it was like when I am feeling energized to spend my Fridays on clearance, for example, I will do mm -hmm. so. Uh, right. and like, I'm happy to talk to you about the general direction I see it going in, but I'm not going to commit to a roadmap, that kind of thing. Whereas something like, uh, at auth zero, um, you know, I imagine that a lot of the open source libraries that you provide are actually to make auth zero work, right? Like to like integrate yeah. with auth zero or, or something like that. So it's, yeah. So people can hook them into their libraries right. slightly different than like, Hey, I extracted this out of a production thing I used. You might want to use it too. Right. Mm -hmm. which is the open source stuff I've, I've done in the past. So one more topic I want to cover about work, and it, we're coming up on time here. Um, how has it been working remotely? As I understand, this is your first remote job, right? Yeah, it is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, is, is your situation, do you work remotely as well? Yeah, yeah, I've been okay. full-time remote for at least six, seven years now. Okay, it's yeah. Great. Um, I, it's the future, man. <laughs> um. <laughs> So the a large part of the reason why I entertained the phone call when when or the email when when GitHub reached out um, was because of like things that were happening in my life personally. Um, I loved my job at Thoughtbot. I loved all the people I worked with. Um, it was a really hard decision to leave, but um, you know I have two kids. They're uh, eight and six currently, and. Um, my wife has been home for about the last four years. Um, and that's a decision we made. Like she had a really great job, really well-paying job, but it also required a lot more of her hours wise than my job required of me. So it made sense that like I would be the one to continue to work. And, and uh, if somebody was going to stay home that she, she wanted to do that. And I was like, I actually am happy with my job. And I feel like it's a good, um, you know, I spend a I, 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 it's a good work-life balance. So I may, I kept working, but my wife has been working to go back as a, go back to work as a teacher. Um, mm -hmm. and so she's been taking classes and things like that, uh, and has reached the point where she's now doing her student teaching. And so that means she's basically a teacher. Um, 
and works teacher hours, which means my kids, you know, when they get out of school, my wife's not there to pick them up from school anymore. And, um, and so it just kind of happened that just as I was, just as GitHub had sent me that email, I was starting to think about like, what am I going to do? Like, what are we going to do? Am I going to send my kids to after school, which is totally fine. That's a thing that like lots of families do and it works out great. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but they haven't done that before. And I kind of really like that they don't do that and that like they're either at school or they're with a parent right? Right. <laughs> or maybe at a friend's house on some days. Um, and so, you know, a large part of that was like, wouldn't it be nice if at two thirty I could just walk up to the school because the school is down the street, pick up the kids, walk home feed them a snack ask them how their day was and then you know my wife will be home in 20 minutes and Mm -hmm. then i'll go back to work uh and so that was a large part of the motivation for um for it was like to make my wife's life easier to make my family's life easier um that's why i answered the call i guess um and so in reality that has worked out exactly as i'd hoped but there's been like so so much more Uh, that has been so (laughs) beneficial. Like, um, you know, my youngest who's six, uh, he is not the easiest to get ready for school every morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it is like, it used to be a significant source of stress and it still is a pretty stressful time. But, uh, you know, when I was like rushing to get out the door to go to the train while I'm trying to help my wife get the kids ready to go to school because I want to be a contributing parent uh (laughs) like i would often lose my temper right and Mm -hmm. i didn't want to i would every day i'd be like okay tomorrow i'm not going to lose my temper and (laughs) but it just it just invariably would happen um and like one of the things that i've noticed about it is like i'm now that i don't have that pressure like like oh if 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 the kids are a few minutes late to school that's not going to impact me getting to the train on time because i'm not going to the train i'll just be a few minutes late to my desk like mm-hmm. it's not a big deal um and so like my wife and i actually talk all the time talk frequently about how like my relationship with my youngest son is so much improved based largely on the fact that i work from home because it just changed that di- it was such a drastic change to that dynamic between us that like I'm not rushing him. He's not ru- like he's not stressing me out as much. <laughs> right. Still, definitely happens. Um, but like, just just that I think is the major thing that I've appreciated about it. The appreciated about it the most. And like, there are challenges work wise with working remote from all of your teammates. But um, for me, I can't imagine doing. Uh, you know, I've only been doing it for five months, but I can't imagine going back unless it were for like an absolute dream job where the commute was a breeze and it was optional on most days. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a big, big, big fan. Most of my, uh, my benefits are mirroring yours. Uh, <laughs> I, I very much enjoy being able to, uh, to get up with my girls. Um, so like I get up early, I'm an early riser. So I'm up at five thirty. they wake up around seven. Uh, my girls are five and three. So when they're coming downstairs, I can get all their stuff ready. My wife gets to sleep in. I get to get my oldest on the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel real good about all that kind of stuff. And then I just walk back in the door and go back to work. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a very easy, casual lifestyle. Um, like you said, it doesn't come without challenges. Like I do get that that loneliness factor from the rest of the team. Um, I'm at a co-working space in uh, in the city just to like kind of you know do that a couple days a week so I get my fix. 
Mm -hmm. Um, but I really like being able to walk downstairs at any point throughout the day and like hang out with my three-year-old for a little bit. Like, you know, Hey, what are you watching? Uh, what are you building? Can I build some blocks with you real quick? Um, get him a snack. I can feed him lunch or like Mm -hmm. this past week because it's uh, sickness season in the the Northeast, as I'm sure you're aware, Mm -hmm. my wife's been taken out. So I've been around to help out. I can pick up my daughter from school. I can do, um, do the lunch, put him down for a nap. It's, you know, it's really nice. And I feel awesome that any day I can take off at four o'clock, nobody cares where I'm going. Mm -hmm. Like as long as my work got done, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice outside. I'm going to go play. Yeah. And like, I I struggle with some of the same stuff that like, like when I first started, it was summer. And so I made a very, I made a very, uh, intentional point of like, Hey, when it's lunchtime, I'll eat my lunch and then I'll go for a walk. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at the end of the day, I will, I will separate myself from like work time and home time by going for another walk. And mm-hmm. I will invite one of my children along and we will chat. Right. Uh, it turned out the children kind of grew wary of this, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not into this anymore, <laughs> but, uh, but <laughs> I can see that, <laughs> but I, uh, I really liked that. Like, Hey, I'm just going to go take this half hour walk. But as the weather got colder, my motivation to do that, uh, went way, way downhill. Mm-hmm. And uh, there have been a couple of times where my wife will come home and I'll still I'll, I'll be downstairs and I'll be working and I'll finish at like five and I'll come upstairs five five thirty. I'll come upstairs and uh, I'll just look at her and I'll say, I haven't been outside of the house in three days. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And she'll just go, uh, why don't you go grocery shopping or something? You know, like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that like trying to combat that and, and actually now that my wife is doing her student teaching, which just started recently, like at least I get out of the house to go pick the kids up. Like I go walk to the school every day, uh, to pick the kids up. So it gets, gets me out of the house there. Um, you know, so there's, there's definitely things you have to be intentional and, and cognizant of no different than being cognizant of things when you're commuting, like knowing that like, oh, I've got to get home. I've got to leave early today, which means if I want to make the train, that's a different schedule. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, each one's have each each side has the things that like you've always got to be considering. Yeah. Or even uh, I like to give the example of getting the car fixed, because if if you are working from the office, mm-hmm. getting your car fixed is like a four hour idea uh, four hour ordeal. If you are getting your car fixed as a remote engineer, okay, you take your car in, you sit down, you work remotely from the car place for a while, let it all take place, and you drive home. So you've ultimately lost the commute to the car shop and back. Yeah. (laughs) I I really enjoy that aspect because it seems like something's always going on with the car around here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, certainly we've had a lot of like stuff home-wise go on, and it's nice Mm -hmm. to not have to be like... Like I just had a, I had the guy, I had a guy come and service the boiler for heat in our house and like to not have to be like, oh, uh, can I make it? Can I do Tuesday? Um, let me see. Okay. Yeah. I can probably work from home on Tuesday. It's like, when can you be here? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll be here. Thank you. Right. <laughs> like even if I'm on a call, everybody I'm working with understands. I can just be like, Hey, give me a second. The, the, uh, HVAC repair guy just got here. Let me, let me show him downstairs where the boiler is. Right. And then like <laughs> two minutes later, I'm back and I'm like, okay, where were we? You know, right. um, it's an entirely different thing than like, okay, yeah, let me, or if like somebody comes home from school sick, it's not like, oh, okay, I'll be on the next train. It's, yeah. uh, yeah. All right. I guess I'm done for the day and now I'm taking care of a sick child and that, that yep. transition is much quicker. Yep. One of the, the downsides I've, I've noticed, and it's not even really a downside. It's just one of those things you have to be aware of, um, 
and it, it helps if your coworkers are either used to it or also have kids. But, um, you know, listeners can't see this, but I'm currently with my back against the wall. I've changed my desk position in this room because it used to be uh, with the back against the wall and the camera could see the door. And it <laughs> happened quite frequently, especially during the summer months, that my kids will just bust in and start talking about stuff or go to the closet to get things out of uh, like an art bin. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're in all sorts of attire or not dressed properly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it just makes it so much easier if they can't see that happening. They just hear the aftermath. Yes, absolutely. I'm in a so like I work in uh, I work in the basement, a finished basement of our house. Mm-hmm. And uh, previous to me working down here, this was their toy room, basically. Mm-hmm. So I work in their toy room. And thankfully, our basement is very big. And so like there's a section of it I've been able to like say like, hey, this is dad's workspace. If you want to play with toys, play with them over there. Uh, but they also know that like if I if they come home from school at three o'clock and I have a meeting sometime between three and five, they generally just like stay upstairs. But if I don't mm-hmm. have a meeting, it's like, yeah, go ahead. You can play over there while I, I can put these noise canceling headphones on and yep. be fine. Um, and so that's actually really a, a cool thing. But if I were to show you like what the rest of this room looks like, like right behind me looks really clean, but over there, not clean. <laughs> <laughs> but there will be times like uh, on Wednesdays, my kids have half days every week. Uh, mm-hmm. And Wednesday afternoon is also the time when I have my one-on-one with my manager. Uh, ah, and yep. so like occasionally they'll just be like screaming from upstairs and I have to just be like, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> Ig- ignore that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> one of my children is flipping out. <laughs> yep. Um, so I wish that, I, I, I guess my one wish is that my, my ma- my one-on-one with my manager probably shouldn't be on the day my kids have a half day from school. Uh, but, <laughs> but other than that, it's okay. It's a humanizing factor. Yeah. She understands. She's like, oh yeah, I understand what it's like. So that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, the product manager on my team, she has two boys just a little bit older than uh, my girls and uh, where she is, it's summertime. So uh, we'll we'll see them come on the, the call a lot. And uh, like sometimes I think she worries that I, I care. And for me, I don't acknowledge any of this because this is like a daily happening for me. And then I, I had that feeling today because I, I had to rush home after getting my daughter from school jump onto a call with her right away and I wanted to make some coffee and that was the worst mistake ever because the as soon as I got home the two sisters are fighting <laughs> like mm-hmm. screaming full volume and I'm not near the computer to press the mute button I was like <laughs> over uh, pouring water into the kettle <laughs> sorry <laughs> I'm so yeah. sorry yeah I, I've I've kind of embraced that by just being like oh there's been a couple times where I'm on a call and like one of my kids comes down to be like is dad on a call and I'll just be like hey come over say hello Right. Yeah. Like, just yep. in, like, especially if it's just somebody on my team, I'm like, hey, learn a little bit more about my life. Here are my children. His name is Elliot. Like, right? or just like, yep. Say hello. Like, you know, um, and and kind of make them part of it. And it's kind of a cool, and I enjoy that about when I'm on calls with with uh, with the people who report to me or anybody else. Like, just getting a glimpse into their life because knowing because you know one of the disadvantages of working remotely is like you don't sit down and have lunch together. So yeah. You don't know, like you don't you miss out on that. And so making sure to dedicate time to like, hey. How was your weekend? What did you do? Like, or just like capitalizing on the glimpses into people's lives that, uh, that you get, uh, becomes important. I think for team building. It, it's really nice. At my last job, we used to do, uh, we had like a hashtag for, um, one of the social services. I don't remember which, but it was like TTM babies, TTM being the acronym for our company. Mm-hmm. 
and uh like anytime our kids would join a, a stand-up or something it was like a big thing like to see how much they've grown since the last time you saw them <laughs> or like see what kind of ridiculous things they've gotten into yeah and i missed that because uh, at work uh half my team's in europe half's in the u.s and that's spread across a few time zones so you would see um i started doing this like uh, end of the week happy hour which would be at our only overlap hour there's one hour during the day when people are online together mm-hmm. uh, and it's entirely so in the european time zone like the kids are ready to play with their their parents so they come onto the call some of them have like these hilarious masks or uh attire on you see like the one dad's talking he's like hey hey come over here real quick <laughs> kid plops down on camera so everybody's talking to him they get the, the extra attention we get the laugh out of it mm-hmm. uh pets jumping on screen all the time um so like you said like that's our our humanizing moment we get to yeah. see everybody's backstory yeah i certainly know a lot about the dogs that uh <laughs> <laughs> that my coworkers have uh because mm-hmm. they appear on on zoom chats all the time yep we have one coworker where the dog is uh, Pavlonian trained to speak only when uh, their owner's talking. So, like, he'll leave the microphone unmuted, but when he starts to talk, the dog will start barking. <laughs> uh, it's a good time. Oh, man. So, there's so much I want to ask you. I might have to ask you on another time, but um, I do try to wrap these up around an hour. So, um,. What's the best way that people can kind of follow what you're doing? Um, I know you, you speak at conferences sometimes. I don't know if that's it's still something you're working on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something I'd like to... I kind of took a break from that uh, while I was starting a new job. But it's something mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to get back into. Uh, the best way to kind of keep up with what I'm working on is through Twitter. Uh, so you can follow me there at, at Derek Pryor. I also have a website, prioritized.net, which is a play on my last name, uh, where I occasionally blog and I have designs. Now that like one of the things I really enjoyed about working at ThoughtBot was access to the ThoughtBot blog where I could write things that people <laughs> would actually read. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't have that anymore. Uh, there's a GitHub engineering blog, but the, for the, 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 the bar to posting there seems a little higher. Um, and so I, uh, I may end up, uh, doing a, doing a little bit more blogging, but I also try to post about like, uh, if I have upcoming talks or, uh, there's a list of like podcasts that I've appeared on and, and things like that. And then I should have asked this one first. Is there anything else you wish I would have asked you that you wanted to, to mention? No, I'm really glad we get to talk about remote work because that's like one of the that's uh, you know, <laughs> I I I'm one of the few people that or I, I'm not one of the few people. I'm one of those. I'm one of the early, recent converts to it. That is just like to anybody that will listen, just say like, yeah, you got to find a way. Like in this industry, it just you you got to find a way to make it happen. <laughs> it's so good. I do talk to people. I talk to a lot of people who who swear up and down that they can't do it. Right, that they just mm-hmm. they they need to be in an office with their coworkers and uh, and I, I actually didn't know if that was gonna if I was gonna be one of those people, but very quickly I was like, nope, nope, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> Love all my coworkers, but this is better. <laughs> yep. Then you just have to worry on uh, you know acting normal in front of other humans again in, <laughs> yeah. in person. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the on the show to talk to me. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a great talk. It's been a blast. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>